Francisco Chronicle podcast on the people and politics making headlines in the city by the bay. I'm Trisha Thadani, a city hall reporter at the Chronicle. My colleague Dom Fricasa and I spoke to the leading candidates in each district race up for grabs in November. This episode, we spoke to District 6 candidate Christine Johnson, a former planning commissioner with an engineering degree. Johnson is a policy wonk and is the only one in the race who has experience working in a city department. But so far, her campaign has failed to get as much momentum as her competitors. D6 candidate, Christine Johnson. Hello, thanks for having me. Yeah. What we'll start with is we will give you 60 seconds to do your elevator pitch. Three, two, one, go. Hi, my name is Christine Johnson. I'm running for District 6 Supervisor. That's Soma, Tenderloin, Treasure Island, and Mission Bay. I am a 14-year resident of the district. And when I was growing up, my mom was a nurse. She worked two jobs, but that wasn't enough. We had to move every couple years. And that really inspired uh, me to get into the field of public finance and also in public service. Uh, I have really worked to help build communities in San Francisco. I was in the Hunters Point Shipyard CAC for eight years, the OCII Commission, which was redevelopment for two, and the Planning Commission. seconds. And I'm really running to make sure that we need to improve our quality of life. There's a lot of big changes that we need to make in this city to build more housing, get more transit, make this a more equitable, diverse city. But no one's going to care about any of that if they're stepping over needles and they feel like we can't take care of people who are in our streets. So I'm running to make that change to the Board of Supervisors and bring a policy-oriented mind. And thank you guys for having me. All right. So the first question. Um, so we've heard that there was, there was a really big push to get you to run for supervisor far before you actually filed your papers um Sonia Trous even said that like she would not have run had you come in sooner but by the time you did like her campaign was really underway so she couldn't exactly pull out um so but why you know why did you wait and then what finally inspired you to run yeah so you're right. I had been approached by by many people asking me to run for District 6 supervisor. They had seen my work on the Planning Commission and various other boards and commissions and really felt like I would be a person to push more housing, to make the city more equitable and diverse, all those good things. But I'm also a real person. Mm-hmm. I am married. I have a two-and-a-half-year-old son. And at the time when people were, were really pressing me, um, my son was one. Mm-hmm. And it was a challenge just to go to a regular day job, let alone consider being a candidate for office and all of that that entailed so frankly it was really a personal decision I I wanted to run I felt like I would be an an excellent supervisor uh, but I wasn't ready to to really take that leap with with my son being one and with all the challenges that that entails so it was a personal decision but time goes on I'm a first-time mom things get a little bit easier you Mm -hmm. see the light at the end of the tunnel and we start to get to the end of the year and I still felt the same way uh, at the end of 2017 as I did in the beginning that um, I would make a great supervisor I think I could convince the residents of District 6 that I would be the one to help really improve quality of life and I knew that there was a, a field in front of me that Sonia had declared and that there other candidates in the race um but i felt ready to make that case to the district resident so uh, i decided to jump in the race Mm -hmm. Do, do you wish you jumped in sooner just looking back i don't no, I mean, because like, I can't change my personal circumstance yeah. with, you know, honestly, you know, at, at this point, I, I left Spur, which I was mm-hmm. a San Francisco director uh, to run for office. So there are, you know, there's personal finances involved in running for office. Uh, there, there's child care considerations involved in running for office. And so I, I can't turn back the clock and change those things. So so no, I think um, me, me jumping in when I was prepared to actually be a candidate and devote myself to the race uh, was the right decision. 
You are running uh, one two sort of rank choice uh, a strategy with uh, with Sonia, mm-hmm. um, another candidate in the race, as we've said. Um, could you just take us through uh, what that what the dy- dynamics are like running a, a one two campaign with another candidate? Um, and and specifically, we want to know though what are some similarities and differences in your approaches, uh, your and Sonia's, to to running and to governing. So the one-two strategy made sense for this race because district residents want someone who is focused on putting a roof over everyone's head, housing, and also quality of life. And uh, particularly on that bigger issue of housing, Sonia and I are really aligned. Um, and so it made sense to really, uh, to, to really show voters that there are pro-housing candidates on the ballot. And also, this is a strategy that comes from having ranked choice elections. I think uh, beyond that, though, we are different people. So we run our campaigns differently. Uh, I think we've shown ourselves that we would be different leaders uh, if either one of us got on the board of supervisors. And I'm hoping that that's pretty clear to voters. Uh, For for myself, I just come with a lot more experience, um, tactical experience in the areas that will impact people's lives. You know, you learn a lot being on planning commission, on redevelopment commission, uh, Hunters Point Shipyard CAC about how to build community, what it takes to, to, to use a city budget in a way to actually meet the priorities that the residents want you to meet. How do you work with other electeds? Um, how do you work with the mayor's office and their entire staff and their agency heads? That sort of knowledge is what's actually going to get changed for residents and it comes with experience and that's what I have and then frankly you know again we're different people I'm sort of a policy wonky nerdy person and and Sonia is an activist and I appreciate the Yimby movement and everything they've done to really bring housing to the forefront of the city conversation Um, but yeah we would definitely be different people on the board of supervisors when you and I were talking the other day maybe it was like three weeks ago at this point we took a nice long walk all the way down Market Street Um, so we started at um, on 6th Street where your campaign headquarters were we um, then turned onto Market Street and all of a sudden it's like tourist central there and then we keep walking we're in the financial district and then we ended up at the ferry building um, my feet hurt after that day but so welcome to my life <laughs> oh I'm sure yeah um, but so you know during, during that walk you had pointed out like how you wanted to take it because you wanted to point out how dramatically parts of D6 actually shift. But then one point um, that you really hammered down on is that like you don't want to change the character of various neighborhoods. Like You wouldn't want the Tenderloin to become like Mission Bay. And and you were saying you w- want to be really careful of like preserving the character of certain neighborhoods. What exactly did you mean by that, and how will you do that? Yes. So I like that we have diverse micro neighborhoods. I actually like the fact that you can go on 6th Street and everybody knows each other. You know, everyone in, in those SROs, like they are neighbors, they have resident leaders, they are organized. And uh, you would personally know a lot of them also. N- yes, yeah. yes, I actually, many of them are in front of my office. I've canvassed all those buildings. It's, it's, it's pretty cool actually that I feel a part of that community. And then you can walk two blocks down and you're practically in Union Square, which is a, like a regional, hub for for tourism and and for commerce in the city i appreciate that and i think that there are ways to improve our quality of life and make everyone feel like you know life in district six can be better and you can do it without making our neighborhoods homogenous and that was my point you know i think everyone wants the same thing they want streets that are not a public health hazard they want a roof over everyone's head. They want places for people to be during the day and feel like they belong in their community so they're not just out on the sidewalk. Uh, And they want to feel like District 6 is a welcoming hub. And you can do those things without 
demolishing SROs. Mm -hmm. You can do those things without pushing out historic populations. Um, it just requires a commitment to finding space for everyone to be. And that's one of the things that I'd want to focus on. So, could you elaborate on that a little bit more? Like how, how do you do that? How do you find that space and get the approvals for all of that? Yeah, absolutely. So I, a lot of people don't realize if you walk down sixth street, there's a lot of folks that you'll see them like on the sidewalks. I mean, literally sometimes it gets to the point where it's hard to walk down the street. But what many people don't know because they make a lot of assumptions is that most of those people are not homeless. They live in the SROs on that street, but because their rooms are small, there's not a lot of public space in the buildings or parks outside, their living room becomes taking a chair from their from their unit and sitting outside on the sidewalk all day. And that's something that I think we can change. One of the things that I wanna look at is really looking at our planning code around what do we consider active use? Right now, if you look at the ground floor spaces, when you're walking around in ground floor stores, our code is written as if San Francisco is a small town where you have like the retail shopkeeper, but that's not the city today. Our ground floor needs to accommodate, yes, retail, but also community spaces that may not specifically be intended to sell something. Um, we They may need to accommodate more nonprofits. Um, they may need to accommodate more just generalized uh, space that's public. And so these are things that if we change them in our codes, we can look at our streets a lot differently and actually find more places for people to be. And this is so important for District 6 because other than a few lots that have been identified, there are very few opportunities for, for a traditional park, like an open space park. And so we need to be very creative about how we're creating those spaces indoors. Given your background in planning, I'm wondering um, if you've been following the developments, at least at a high level, of the uh, Central Soma Plan and, and what some of your big takeaways. It's not done yet, of course, uh, at least at the time of this recording. Um, there's, there's still a ways to go. Um, so I'm just curious about uh, what, what you think about the plan uh, uh, in, in its current state. I think that it will continue to need work. Everyone is looking for when's that date in 2018 when, it's, when there's going to be a stamp of approval. But I kind of feel like we are changing the conversation about what the city needs as we're trying to approve a major area plan. And so I kind of feel like this conversation is going to continue. Big picture, it's a good thing. We have a really huge opportunity in Central Soma to take land that is definitely populated. There's definitely businesses there, but it's a lot of it's underutilized. There are a lot of long blocks with, with, with nothing on them. And we definitely need a plan to make sure that we are accommodating more population, that we are using our land properly. This is a small city and we need to make sure that we don't have any foul land anywhere. That said, um, I do think that there's some areas of, of concern in the Central Soma Plan, some of, some of which I identified as a planning commissioner, and some of those areas are, are still of concern. I do think um, that we need a lot more housing in that in Central Soma area plan. And part of the way to get there, I think, I think some of those corner lots, so when you go down a, a block and you get to literally the corner, need to be taller than they're planned for currently, because we need to account for more housing. And I think when you get down into the wheezy weeds, I think we need to make sure that we are accounting for the, the, the weediest part, that we are accounting for more flexible ways to have office and commercial together, right? So for example, there's a huge area around the Flower Mart, which is around 5th, 5th Street, um, huge area, it's commercial. We should be specifically looking at how can we have air rights? So literally, you look at a building, you look up a, a 
volume of air can be housing above office. These are the kinds of things that you can look at in, the, in, a, in an area plan so that you get more mixed use development and you can get, you can have office, but you can also have more housing. You can also have more public accessible space. So these are the sorts of things that if, if this plan is still uh, up in the air when I'm elected supervisor that I'd want to be taking a look at, because frankly, I do think we need more open space. I do think we need more housing in, the, in that plan. Mm-hmm. So, so switching gears a little bit, um, so what do you think of the way that the current supervisor, uh, Jane Kim, has run D6 for almost the last eight years? And what would you come in and do differently? Supervisor Kim, I think there's some areas where, where she has done a good job. I would point to transit as one of them. I mean, she really championed the bike lane plan. Like She's really been fantastic on transportation and transit. Beyond that, I just I really feel like she, from uh, the earliest days of her first uh, term have focused on sort of larger changes, progressive changes in the city, and has not focused on the more, I guess, quotidian aspects. Things that are seem minor, things that you wouldn't necessarily notice unless you're actually looking at them. So, for example, there is a pothole that's about the size of a manhole cover. Uh, in West Soma. It's been there for about 15 years. It's off of 11th Street. It's off of 11th and Mission. Mm. Uh, it's down one of the side streets there. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll try to get it for you on the map. <laughs> I know where it is because I used to go to a yoga studio near there and mm. I very nearly uh, messed up my car wheel tire more than <laughs> once. It's been there for a long time. And this is the type of stuff where it's a real, it just takes a supervisor who, who cares about making sure that residents are happy when they leave their homes every day and care about what they see in the streets. And so things like, are you pointing at DPW and talking about the state of our streets? Mm-hmm. Um, state of the, the, literally the streets with the potholes, but also the sidewalks. Are you having conversations with Recology about what to do about the situation of garbage being strewn on our streets? Mm-hmm. Um, are you getting into the details of SRO residents who say they're concerned about their living situations? So I kind of feel like those are the level of, that's the level of detail that residents want in a, in a neighborhood-oriented supervisor. And I, I don't know that Jane Kim has uh, uh, spent her time or her staff's time on those types of issues. You, We've spoken a couple of times about this piece of administrative code that you would want to change back and out. Do you want to explain that? Because I feel like that goes off well of what you were just talking about. Yeah, so this is something I discovered as a planning commissioner. It shocked me. There is a place in our administrative code that says that the sidewalks are the responsibility of private property owners, that they are responsible for the maintenance and cleanliness, essentially, of our sidewalks. And folks who own single-family homes may actually be familiar with this. So like if a paver, uh, so like a cement paver block breaks in front of your home, technically it's your job to fix it. Uh, You have to get a contractor, you have to do it. And if you have a hardship, you can ask the city but it's your responsibility. Uh, and you know that is sort of the, the, the small example of that, but you, you scale it up to District 6 where we have major blocks, major buildings, and you notice in the morning as an example, you see private people who've been hired by buildings to clean the streets. You see six community benefit districts, uh, like the Union Square Community Benefit District, which is actually not District 6, but Mid- Mid-Market, um, Yerba Buena, the East Cut, the Tenderloin CBD, that are uh, getting a, an additional assessment because property owners are saying, well, it's my job to do this, but we, I can't handle it, so I need a CBD to come in and help me clean the streets. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's a failed policy. You know, Unless you knew that, you would assume that the government's job is to 
be responsible for public spaces, but that's actually not uh, how our policies and codes are written, and that's something that I'd want to change. District 6 has for a long time uh, leaned progressive, but at the same time, I think it's fair to say it's been, District 6 has been just an, has been transformed more so than any other district, or at least as much as any other district. I know there are astonishing uh, levels of uh, development happening there, obviously, I think more so by far than any other district in the city. And, and I wonder if you think that the electorate has changed along with that, along with the sort of physical and perhaps even in cultural makeup of the district. Interesting question. So there's a, I studied engineering, which meant I spent a lot of time on calculus. And we have two diverging factors. Um, This is like multivariate calculus, what you're talking about. Because not only do we have a changing electorate, I do think that the electorate has changed somewhat, both with new residents, but also existing residents who are just sort of tired of what they've been seeing. But I also think that people are, cons- are, are uh, they are, they don't understand what the progressive and moderate terms mean anymore. And I think that there are some real shifts going on and what does that actually mean? And I'll give you an example of, of where, just high level, where it's sort of like, I think that the definitions are changing, shifting beneath our feet. Uh, on the ballot this November is uh, Prop D which is a a tax potentially on the uh, cannabis business. And you would normally, people would used to think, well, more progressive, you would want a tax. It's a new industry, it's an opportunity for more general fund revenue, and moderate, quote unquote, would be pro-business, less tax. It's the opposite. Uh, The supervisors who sponsored Prop D are considered in the more moderate camp, and those who are very much anti and they want to sort of protect the cannabis industry and they they think this tax is not the right direction are more progressive. And so that's just one example where I think this terminology is really jumbled up right now and we kind of don't know where we're going to land. So I think things are shifting beneath our feet, and so I don't really deal with it. I Mm. choose not to take any label, and I think residents like that because they want to know specifics. They actually want to know... What are you going to do? I do have people asking me if I'm a Democrat, which I am, and which all the candidates are. But beyond that, they want to know, what are you going to do? What is the legislation you're going to bring? How is this going to be different than the last eight years? Uh, And how are you going to get passed? Well, what is your stance on Prop D? I am no on Prop D. You're no on Prop D. No on Prop D. All right. Um, So that's a um, a good segue into our lightning round. What is the first piece of legislation you would sponsor as a supervisor? Go. Changing the admin code to make the government responsible for the sidewalks. A couple other questions now about uh, uh, measures yeah, statewide and local that are going to be on the ballot. I think few have been watched more closely right now than Proposition C. Uh, where do you fall with that one? I'm supportive of Prop C. Um, we need to be getting people off the streets. If you're supportive of conservatorship, we need supportive housing for that. Uh, and I have issues with set-asides, generally speaking, but right now we need resources. Mm-hmm. And Prop 10, the measure that would repeal Costa-Hawkins. Yeah, I have no comment on Prop 10. No because comment. I, be- I believe that you Prop 10... You can't do 10- a no comment. Yes, I can. <laughs> I just did. I believe that Prop 10 will be uh, won or lost with homeowners in Southern California and Central Valley. I, I believe that that is where that fight's going to be. And so I like to look ahead to what would I do if it passes, if it doesn't pass. If it passes, I definitely want to have legislation that at minimum rolls forward the year under which buildings can be considered under rent control. Right now it's frozen at 1979, um, which means look in the far future and nothing's under rent control. And I, I don't agree with that. Um, so that's a change that I'd want to make if it passes. 
You touched on this already, uh, Christine. This is the last question. Um, in terms of what political camp people think you're in, what, what, do, you, what do you say or what's your response uh, uh, to being considered a moderate candidate? And, and how do you feel about these labels? Could you dive a little bit more into that? Like I said, I, I hate the labels because they are sh- the definition of them is shifting under our feet. I really believe that even folks who want to call me a moderate they don't know what that means. (laughs) They just kind of see who I've been endorsed by. They maybe they've seen my it on planning commission. Maybe they have their own ideas of what that means in terms of how I feel about housing, how I feel about supporting small business. Um, And so I, you know, I choose to just shake my head and nod my head and whatever people want to call me because I really believe that these, these uh, labels don't mean anything anymore to most people. Mm -hmm. One more at this. I know he said this is the last one, but I decided to ask this one. What do you do for fun? When you're not campaigning. When I'm not campaigning. This is, does this count with my son as well? Because I, okay. I love yeah. to take the train with my son. He oh, so nice. really likes transit. And his, our favorite thing is to like, I live in Mission Bay. We'll like walk to Caltrain Station, get on the end, and then like ride it all the way to Ocean <laughs> Beach and get out and be on the beach and then get back on the end and go home. That's like. Sounds lovely. Like one of our favorite yeah. things. <laughs> all right, Christine, thank you so much for joining us on our podcast. Thank you. <laughs> This show is a part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. It was produced by me, Dom Fercasa. For more City Hall coverage, visit sfchronicle.com.